Well, as Michelle mentioned, uh, today we wrap up our message series therapy with this final session dealing with shame and guilt. And every week you've had the opportunity to hear from real people sharing their real stories of what they have experienced, had to walk through, and how God has met them in the midst of it. And so this morning I'm excited for you to hear from Jared and Aaron Wilson as they share with us a little bit of their story and their journey. So Thank you so much, guys, for being willing to share with us. We're glad that you are here. We will just jump straight in this morning. Uh, tell us just a little bit about how have you experienced guilt and shame in your life? Yeah, so shame is an identity label that I've carried for much of my life. Uh, as a child, I experienced some very serious trauma in the form of sexual abuse. And uh, really was not old enough for, I mean, who's capable of processing such a thing? And really that trauma set... Uh, the trajectory of my life. And from that moment on, I began to kind of live a dual life. You know, on the outside, the me that I let everyone else see and experience uh, loved Jesus and was a pretty good person that had it all together, right? So I stepped over the line of faith at, you know, five years old. I was able to help my best friend even step over the line of faith in a playground in third grade. And that's the me I was comfortable with people seeing. That was the me I was comfortable with people knowing, but I was truly afraid of being fully known. I on the inside, I was a wreck. Uh, I was a wreck emotionally, relationally, spiritually. I was very insecure. I had a lot of anger uh, towards God. Um, I had unmet expectations towards God, really towards my family. I was confused uh, and did not know how to deal or cope with what was going on. And so to deal with this, at a very young age, I began uh, consuming pornography as a way of medicating myself. Uh, pornography is very highly addictive. In fact, only dopamine, or I mean, it, it releases dopamine at a very high rate. I think only methamphetamine and cocaine have a higher dopamine release in the brain, which, uh, you know, just speaks to the addiction level that you can have with it. And so this began an addiction that really was a way I dealt with it. Unfortunately, pornography just feeds into that shame cycle. And so it just left me in a further hole. Uh, dealt with this through middle school, through high school, into college. Met a girl in college. We, we dated for about four years, got married, but it was a very shortly lived marriage. She ended up leaving me for a married man that just further pushed me into this cycle of shame and um, just guilt and just not really being able to cope. And I couldn't even be angry here. I was addicted to pornography. And, you know, Sexual addiction is a relational disorder. So I, at this point, was basically just sitting on an island by myself, and my biggest fear was being fully known. Hmm. Well, Jared, I appreciate your honesty, your vulnerability. We've talked in this series a lot about not only our own sin, but the sin that has been done to us. And also we've talked about that getting help looks different, and getting healthy looks different for everybody. So share with us a little bit this morning, what did getting help and getting healthy look like for you? Right, so we're gonna fast forward in the story. I met Erin living in South Florida. Um, we, we got married. I let her know that I'd had a problem with pornography. I kind of alluded to the fact that it was not an issue anymore, uh, which was kind of like a pseudo confession and kind of made me feel good, but really that, you know, a partial truth is not really a truth at all. And, the, you know, I thought I could still control this. The problem is you can't control sin. Sin's not stationary. And so the, the issue with that is sin is going to eventually take you to some pretty dark places. For me, uh, that looked like uh, when I started to build a relationship with a woman outside my marriage that was neither healthy or holy. And I found myself thinking, what is wrong? I mean, I love Jesus. How have I gotten here? And uh, Hail Mary Pass, I joined a group online called Setting Captives Free. 
it was a ministry designed to help uh, men step out of addiction to pornography and, and sexual addiction. And uh, the very first night, my mentor said, have you ever experienced grace? And I'm thinking, dude, did you not listen? I literally just told you I'm a Christian. Of course, I've experienced grace. And uh, it's like he didn't even hear me, though. He said, well, that's what I'm going to pray for for you is to experience grace. Uh, I thought, okay, well, this Hail Mary fell short. And so I went to bed that night at 2 a.m. on the dot. I was awoken by a very audible voice uh, saying, Jared, you have a good marriage. But if you want a great marriage, you need to be willing to take a step back. My heart was racing about 200 a minute. And I could not fall asleep the rest of the night. And I need more than three hours of sleep to process anything. So it was a pretty rough night. Uh, For the next four to five months, I experienced this every night at 2 a.m. on the dot. So I got about three hours of sleep a night. uh, Ended up putting me in the hospital. Y'all, I'm like Jonah. So when God calls, I'm running the other way anyways. And here I am in the hospital. And, uh, you know, even the doctor is like, yeah, 2 a.m. on the dot. Your telemetry went crazy. Uh, and I, I knew that if I continued this, you know, it was going to end very badly for me if I continued to live in disobedience. But I thought, God, if I, if I confess, if I'm fully known, do you understand what's going to happen? Um, but I, I, I knew I needed to confess. So if I confessed verbally, I knew I was going to lie because I was so afraid of being known. I wrote it down. I confessed to my wife, to my parents, uh, to my closest friend circle. Uh, and, you know, the, the fear of being fully known, right, is that rejection, right? Because uh, you fear of being rejected. And if I'm being honest, I experienced a little bit of that, but by and large, what I experienced was grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness. I, I was able to get into counseling, process some of this stuff, started setting up safeguards in my house, um, started getting accountability and serving more in the church. And it was kind of like carrying that duffel bag full of weights my whole life. I finally dropped it. The last thing I wanted to do was pick up a two pound weight. Like I, I felt free. And my experience on the opposite side of this was very different from Jared's experience. While he began his path to healing with his confession, it was his confession that just tore my heart to pieces and ripped my world to shreds. Um, He read his confession letter to me on the Tuesday after Mother's Day of that year, and I didn't eat or sleep for the rest of that week. Um, I was too angry to do much of anything. But... Those sleepless nights were filled with God's presence for me. And at that time, I felt like Jesus was the only person I can trust. He was the only person in the whole world that could not lie to me. And I built massive walls around my heart. And I only allowed Jesus to enter because I knew that he was the only person that could not hurt me. And I wish I could explain better in words um, between knowing God and experiencing God because those sleepless nights, I experienced God so deeply. I felt his love and his comfort and his faithfulness and his steadfastness and his restoration in ways I can't fully explain with only words. He started healing my heart already in those first few sleepless nights. From there, I worked through the companion study of setting captives free, the same one Jared had done. And I also um, confided in supportive friends, and they were supportive not only of me, but of Jared too, uh, which is something I didn't even realize I needed at the time. There was one um, friend that we had told that um, the first time we went over to her house afterwards, she had given Jared the biggest hug, and I just was really blown away by it because that was grace. Like, she hugged this person that, yes, did horrible things, but, came forward and, and confessed. And I had a, another friend that I had met, and I told her, I said, listen, I told Jared before we got married, if he was unfaithful, that was my ticket out. That was what I could not deal with. That was a divorce. 
and I'm dependability is like one of my high personal values so I feel like now I would lie to myself if I stayed and she looked at me and she said Aaron you aren't who you used to be and that made me pause and realize Jesus had been working on me too and I do have the capacity to work through this with Jared so we went to counseling both separately and together because our path to healing looked so different during this time and we were suffering from such different wounds that we really couldn't help each other. Our counselor helped me walk through understanding the layers of forgiveness, um, not only for what Jared had done, but I had to also forgive Jared for the marriage that I hoped for and would never have. Well, I appreciate that as you tell your story, one of the things that is central to both of, it, both of you is that you're clinging to your identity in Christ. And so just share with us a little bit, how has that identity helped you as you reflect on this time and how you continue to approach this struggle or this part of your life. And then also tell us a little bit about the t-shirts you're wearing. Right, so I don't want to live in shame anymore. Like I don't want to live in shame, right? My Shame tells us we are bad, but my identity is found in Christ. The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. And that's where my identity is. I saw my sin. I saw my shame. I saw my addiction. I saw all that darkness. And it was there on the cross with Jesus. And I thought, if Jesus could forgive me, maybe I could even forgive myself. And and not just that, but God took me to a place where I was even able to forgive the one that caused trauma against me as a child. And uh, be able to start to take those next steps. And I said, hey, God, whatever that next step is, I'm ready to do it. Be careful with that one. Uh, so, you know, now we have a, a ministry here in the area called Fight Club. And we've been able to help 18-plus men step over that, that issue of addiction to pornography over the last couple of years. We've, we've had men from multiple churches. We've actually even been able to serve people out of state, two different states. We're starting our first Fight Club in Virginia this fall. Uh, And we even have an alumni class on Saturdays for for guys that have gone through it and want to continue to build each other up because it's so freeing to be known. And uh, I'd love to say I'm there. I'm not. It's a grind every day. I got to pick up my cross every day. Uh, But I, I need to say this, and I hope you hear it today. Guys, if you're dealing with an addiction to pornography or sexual addiction, I need you to understand you're not alone. Three fourths of the men in this building, statistically, have viewed pornography in the last month. 32 to 33% of the women in this building have viewed pornography in the last month. Look around, you're not alone. So stop, stop pretending, stop lying. It's time to be known, it's time to stop living in shame. Fight Club is a great opportunity and we kick off, uh, kick off this week with that. And Jared had told me that the Holy Spirit told him he had a good marriage, but he would never have a great marriage if he didn't tell me the truth. And I just read Psalm 32 this week, and it was Jared's experience exactly, except for brittle bones, he had a racing heart. And I'd love to read this short passage with you. It says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
As followers of Jesus, we can confess to experience freedom, and we are forgiven. And thankfully, our marriage is in a better spot than it has ever been before, which is something I truthfully never thought possible sitting in that counselor's office all those years ago. Our marriage is not perfect, and I can assure you there are still areas that will always be sensitive because of our past, but it is so much better now because Jared was brave enough to come forward and tell the truth. Well, again, we want you to feel this morning and to know that you are not alone and in all of these different areas that we've talked about over the last five weeks, but also specifically this area. And so Fight Club is your next step with God. We'll tell you a little bit at the end of the service how to sign up, but begin to think and pray if that is your next step today. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for your honesty, for your vulnerability, and I know that it is going to impact and help so many people here today. Will you help me in thanking them for sharing this morning? Well, guys, I have been described in the past uh, as someone who is shameless, you know, the kind of person that's immune to, to social disgrace. Maybe you don't know me that well, but you do know the personality type. Like, we're the type that, like, when it comes to food, I will shamelessly eat off of your plate. I will shamelessly eat off of the floor. Like, when it comes to, to dress codes, I will shamelessly, confidently show up underdressed. Like, when it comes to having pit stains from the first service, I I won't hide them. I'll show them, even when my sophomore was on the second row in the first service, you know? Like, when it comes to awkward social situations, our type, man, we step into those spaces with gladness. Like, we kind of thrive in the awkward. Do you know the type? And, And maybe you hear that and you go, man, I wish I was that type. Because I know for me that that is not how my personality is. And if anything, man, I am absolutely captive to social pressure. But what I want you to know this morning is this, whether you're like me or you're completely opposite from me in regards to that and your personality, like even us, the shameless types, we struggle with guilt and with shame. We all struggle with guilt and shame on some level. And the truth is some of us struggle with it a little and some of us struggle with it a lot. Some of us are are shaped by it, even in positive constructive ways. We are shaped by it in our experience with guilt and shame, but so many of you are destroyed by it, and it's destroying you even on an everyday kind of basis. And so we have to learn to to deal with it. We have to learn to understand it. We have to learn to address it. And as we think about that, like I want to I think through this question, should we try to get rid of it? Should we try to get rid of guilt and shame? I'm not so sure that that's what we should do, but instead recognize that, that in some ways it's necessary. 
And so let's really seek to understand it. And as we seek to understand it, then let's be matured to the point that we're ready to address it. Now, I am not a psychologist. As Greg has said for the last few weeks, I'll reiterate and say the same thing. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a pastor. And so if I were a psychologist, this is probably the point where I would say we need to talk about maladaptive neurotic guilt versus adaptive prosocial guilt. And at that point, man, I would be so far outside my lane, it would be ridiculous. And so at this point, what I want us to do is to think about this and understand guilt and shame from a theological, biblical perspective. All right. So as we think about that, I want you to understand that we all, as humans made in the image of God, we all have this complicated relationship with guilt and with shame. And it's a lot like the other topics that we've covered. It's like crisis, trauma, loss, depression, anxiety, that it occurs across this spectrum of experience. I recognize that in this room, there is a great variation of experience with guilt and shame. And because of that reality, man, I want to be so clear and so careful, but so kind with the truth. So let's really seek to understand these two things, guilt and shame. And I would tell you, man, I think they're cousins. Like, they're related, but they're also distinct and different. So let's talk about them individually. So at the most basic level, guilt is about our behaviors. It's about the things that we do or our actions, Right? Guilt's behaviors-based. It's the things that we do, so it causes us to say things like, I made a mistake. I did something bad. That's the work of guilt. Shame, similar but different, is about our self. It's about who we are. It's about our identity. And it causes us to say things like, I am bad. I am a mistake. When you begin to understand the differences, you see how both of these things are so powerful as they're lived out in our lives. They can be so powerfully bad and destructive. But they also have the power and the potential for good and for God to use them in good ways. See, the truth about guilt and shame both is that they can, they can have healthy, constructive impact in our life that motivate this, this good and true life change that really transforms our identity, transforms who we are and how we see and understand ourselves in relation to a perfect and holy God. And it can also shape the things that we do, the ways that we act. It has this transformative power in our lives. But more often than not, guilt and shame are destructive. They destroy, and they destroy our self-worth, leaving us feeling so isolated, so alone, and so lost. And you begin to understand just this most basic definition and description of how they're similar, but how they're different. And as we walk deeper into this this morning, I want us to begin to, to work at separating the good from the bad, work at separating the helpful from the harmful, and also get to the point that, that we cannot just understand what it is, but where it comes from. What is the source of the guilt and the shame that I'm experiencing in my life? And I want you to think about it. Like There are lots of ways that guilt and shame walk into the doors of our life. Some of the time, it's things that, that we've experienced, things that we have done or are, are doing, right? It's the sins that we've committed that we feel guilt and shame over. Some of the time, the guilt and shame that we carry with us are the things that have been done to us in the past or the things that someone is doing to us, the sinful things that someone is doing against us in the present, I mean, just think about how much guilt, how much shame we carry as we experience things like abuse and neglect and bullying 
And then some of the time, the guilt and the shame that we experience is a result of the struggles that we face in our life. And sometimes these struggles are sinful. They are sinful kinds of things that are usually associated with addictions. But some of the time, these kinds of things are not sinful. It's the things that we experience as we live life with disorders or with diagnoses that we didn't choose. And then sometimes, it's a really complicated mix of everything and the above, right? Sinful, not sinful, done to us or something we choose to do. Oftentimes, the guilt and shame that we carry is a really complicated mix of all of that. And so how do we separate the healthy from the toxic, the constructive from the destructive? I think understanding it is one thing, but really digging into the source of it is the next thing. So that's the question. What is the source of my guilt and shame? And the reality is, y'all, we have to do work to understand this. We have to really work at this and work through this. And as we look at this from a biblical theological perspective, and we look to ask this question, what is the source of my experience with guilt and shame? What I want to show you this morning is a powerful model that emerges out of a, a verse or two of Scripture. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. If you need uh, help, just go straight to the table of contents and let that tell you exactly what page to turn to this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along there. We would love to give you a free copy of the Bible to take home with you today. So before we pick up and find this model on how to find the source of our, our guilt and shame out of 1 Corinthians 4, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on in this book of the Bible. So this was originally written as a letter to the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, by and from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a powerful, important leader in the New Testament of the church. And what he's writing contextually about in this chapter is what it is to hold ministers, people like me, accountable to the things that they have done but not accountable to the things that they have not done. It's about holding ministers accountable. And out of this emerges this model that I want to teach you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says to the church, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And I want to break this down verse by verse to show you this model for understanding and discerning the source of our guilt and shame. So begin with me in verse 3. I care very little if I am judged by you. All right? You have no place of judgment over me. And he says here, not even any human court, no grouping of people has the power or the authority to be this source of judgment, of, of guilt and shame in my life. And he goes on to say, man, indeed, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. And as you look and understand this, man, I want you to see this is helpful. This is wise. This is a biblical perspective. And what we begin to see is that people make good friends. People make good family members. People make good classmates, co-workers, and teammates, but people make really bad gods. People make bad gods. And that's not to say that God can't or does not use other people to expose us to the truth. In fact, I would say that's exactly what's happening here with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4. He's using Paul to bring about the truth. But make no mistake, to put people in God's place is a problem. 
to put other flawed and imperfect people like you and I are both flawed and imperfect, to put people in that place where they become our source of guilt and shame and judgment, man, that's a mistake. And Paul rightly includes himself in the number, right? As he talks about this category of people and people being the wrong source, what he says is, I don't even judge myself. I, too, am just one of these flawed and imperfect people that doesn't have that authority to be in this space. He says, all people make bad gods, especially yourself. And yet we put ourselves on the throne of God in our hearts and our lives all the time. So all people are a bad source of guilt and shame, ourselves and others. And y'all, I want you to listen to me. Some of you specifically in this room, some of you that are secretly destroyed by guilt and shame on a daily basis. I really want you to think through this and really see, are you the primary source of your struggle? Are you the primary source of the guilt and shame, the condemnation that's being spoke in your lives? Like other people, you are not a trustworthy source. You gotta get out of that God space. And when we get out of that God space, all that that leaves room for is the right source. And that's right there in verse 4. Go back to 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It is the Lord who judges me. There's one person that belongs in that space, and it is the Lord. He is the judge. He is the authority. He is the one that reigns supreme, sovereignly setting the perfect standard. He is the holy and righteous one that is the only one that has the credibility and the responsibility and the authority to do the work of defining what should create guilt and what should create shame. And thankfully, as we understand how holy and perfect God is, we also need to reflect on this reality that this holy, perfect, righteous, standard-setting God is also so good and so filled with grace. If your concept of God is not a God that is full of grace and full of love and full of compassion and filled with mercy, you've got the wrong God. So our right source is this God of love and this God of truth, right? That's the right source, God and his truth. And we have to learn the difference. We have to begin to be able to mature to the point that we can discern the difference between the power of destructive human guilt and shame and divine, redemptive guilt and shame. Because with God, the exposure of guilt and shame in our lives, with God, the exposure of guilt and shame in our lives is always an invitation to grace. He is always working to set the captives free. He's always working to, be about, to bring about that kind of freedom. And friends, I want you to know this. I want you to believe this, man. He knows you fully. And that's terrifying. And he loves you completely. And that's liberating. And it's that point that we begin to really understand what this is about. And now that we understand it better, man, we're ready to address it in our lives. And so I want to give you some steps this morning as a part of this session. Step one, you got to evaluate your God. You, I, and everyone else in this space, you got to evaluate your God. It is the Lord who judges me. Is it? Right? Is it? Is that, is that true in your life that the Lord is the one 
whose judgment you surrender to. The Lord is the one that authoritatively speaks over your life. He's the the one that holds the truth and the power of truth in you. He's the one that has this kind of power that's in that God space. He's the one, God and God alone. Is it true that it's just the Lord who judges you? Because when you begin to walk through those questions, what you begin to see that is in really helpful and constructive ways, our guilt and shame actually exposes who or what we worship. Like when you think about what has that authority in your life, well, that's what you're worshiping. And there's only one that belongs in that space. So evaluate your God. Who is your God and your God and your God and my God? Is it some distorted view of God, some theologically twisted God concept that doesn't look like the good God of grace that we see in the scriptures? Or is it a God that's really not a God at all? Is it, is it some idol or some false God and recognize that our hearts become idol factories and one of the things that we most consistently make an idol of is ourself and we worship ourselves and when we think about our guilt and our shame and what we're experiencing in that, does it reveal that you're actually worshiping yourself, someone else, or something else that's in that God space? Or is it the true God of the Bible, the God of judgment and the God of grace? The God with perfect righteousness, but mercy and compassion. Who or what we worship, and that determines our identity. I'm Christ's follower. I'm Christian, right? I worship Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who or what we worship shapes our experience and shapes the way that we understand and live with guilt and with shame. Y'all, and this struggle is real. It is real in the life of even the most devoted, mature follower of Christ. We all always have to work against worshiping some other form, some other false god, some other idol, or ourselves. It is an active battle in the life of the follower of Jesus. But the reality is you will never win this war against guilt and shame if you don't first evaluate your God and put only God in the space that he belongs. That's step one. Step two follows this, right? It's be known. Go back to 1 Corinthians 4, this time verse 5. He, God, will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. That's a a call on our lives to be known, to stop hiding from God, to stop hiding from others, to stop hiding from ourselves, to stop letting guilt and shame keep us hidden and alone in the darkness, experiencing isolation. It's a call for us to work, man, to create authentic community around ourselves and to surround ourselves with truth speakers that will speak the truth into our lives so that we can hear and see and understand the ways of God, the perspectives of God. And I want you to understand that sometimes that community can come in the form of a trusted counselor. That's good. That's a good next step. That's a good action to take to put that counselor in your life that will help you process through these things, speak truth to you, and help you move. They can be your community, a part of your community. There's no shame in the help of a counselor. But whatever it is, surround yourself with community in such a way, man, that it brings light to those hidden dark places. I want you to listen to this same concept as the Apostle Paul shares this to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 5. Just listen. For you were once darkness. You were darkness. That's about identity. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. You 
are light in the Lord. Live then as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Become a light. Step into the light. Trust the light of Christ. Choose to be known. Man, share what you've done. Share what has been done to you. Share the struggles that you face. The reality is that guilt and shame, man, they thrive in the darkness, but guilt and shame are greatly weakened and even can be defeated by the light, but they will only be defeated if you are brave enough to be known. What a beautiful and brave example the Wilsons lived out before us this morning, right? Guys, thank you. Thank you for modeling for us what it looks like to live known. May that kind of authenticity define this church. Thank you. It can be so scary to be known. But immediately on the other side of that fear is freedom. Relief. The beginning of walking in the liberty of all that God intends for us. And then at that point, you're ready for the third step. Go back to verse 5. Verse 5 begins this way. It says, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And then it continues. He, God, will expose the motives of the heart. And so at this point, what you got to do is you got to learn to filter and to act. Filter and, and really process what is the source of this guilt. And when I discern the source of this guilt, I then am ready to act on it. If it's this, then I do this. If it's that, then I do that. Let's walk more deeply into those, right? So what do you do when you filter? Is the guilt and shame that I'm experiencing a matter of truth? If it's truth, then it's from God. If it's from God and it's true, then repent. What's the action? I understand, I discern, this is truth. The action that we take is repentance. To repent is to turn away, to confess, to be known, to be transformed, to change our focus and our affections, to exchange a love of sin for a love of Christ. And as a love of Christ grows in us, we find that the love of sin begins to die in us. That's what happens in in repentance. Repentance is this sincere remorse, but it's also this reorienting away from our sin and to Jesus. And y'all, repentance is critical for spiritual, mental, emotional health to be well. Repentance is essential. And what I want you to hear me say is this. Listen to me. If you're a Christ follower, y'all, we have got to learn to hate our sin without hating ourselves. We've got to learn to hate our sin without hating ourselves. And listen to me, as followers of Jesus, we should hate our sin. And the sins that I should hate the most are not the ones you commit. The sins that I should hate the most are the ones that I commit, the ones that I habitually commit, the ones that I've been stuck in, and the ones that I struggle for obedience in, right? We've got to learn to hate our sin without hating ourselves. I don't know if that sounds easy to you, but it's not. That's work. We got to put in the work. We got to do the work. And yes, y'all, with God's help and with the power of God's spirit, man, we are enabled, we are empowered. This is powerful and this is possible, but it's not without our own action. 
that we walk in repentance, that we discern the truth. So you go back to the filter. What if it's not a truth? If it's not from God, then what is it? Then it's a lie. The source of guilt and shame in your life may very well be a lie. And if it is a lie, then it is not from God. So what do you do? How do you respond? What is your action that you take? It's to reject it. If it's true, you repent. If it's a lie, you reject that lie and you no longer let it keep you in darkness. You no longer let it hold you captive in isolation. You no longer let it have the power and the authority over your life. Instead, what you do is you be known. You share your struggle. You fill your mind with truth and your life with community. And that may sound easy, but it's not. It's not at all. It requires action and you gotta do the work. You gotta do the work. God will show up. It's powered, empowered. It is made powerful and possible by the spirit of God in you. But you gotta show up and do the work. If you're gonna reject the lies and be set free. To be set free, man, you have to filter. You have to separate truth from lies. To be set free, you have to act. Repenting from sins and strongholds. Rejecting lies that are stealing your true identity. And then, man, then you're ready for step four. That's to live free. If Jesus is your God, you are free. If Jesus is your God, you have been set free from all of it. Past, present, and future. Listen, I cannot teach you how to have a shameless personality. I'm not even sure that that would be good if I did. But man, I hope that I can teach you how to have a shameless theology that lives in the light of this truth. Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. When you think sin offering, I want you to see Christ on the cross, his body broken for you. When you think sin offering, I want you to see Christ on the cross, his blood shed for you. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. That's the good news. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And what this says when you look at Christ on the cross and you recognize that he has done this, sacrificing himself for you, it helps you to know and to see that your real guilt, your real shame has really been completely condemned, nailed to the cross, the power of Christ. We are made new and there is now no condemnation. Jesus came. He lived and he loved perfectly and he was condemned and crucified for it. He was killed for the way that he lived. 
In Jesus, God's righteous requirement was met fully and completely. Man, if you are in Christ, you are completely free. There is grace for your guilt. There is no more shame, no more condemnation. You are free. If Jesus is your God, you are free to be known. You are free to repent. You are free to reject the lies and not let them have power and authority over you any longer because Christ and his cross, you are free. And today as we gather around the Lord's table and we recognize this, this celebration of the Lord's Supper, man, it's a, it's, a, it's a way to remind ourselves of the goodness of God in Christ and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we celebrate our freedom. I'm gonna ask the band and the Lord's Supper team to come and prepare to serve you, the church. Here's the invitation. If you're in Christ this morning, man, you take this Lord's Supper, you take the elements of the bread and the cup and you let that be a declaration of your faith, that you believe that Jesus has done for us everything necessary for us to be set completely free. The band is going to play, and as they do, when you get the elements, man, receive them. Take the bread, take the cup, take them on your own, and you let that be your act of worship this morning. Let me pray for this time. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that in Christ, the righteous requirement is completely met and we are set free. God, we declare today we are the people of freedom, we're the people of hope, we are the people that have been freed from our real guilt and our real shame because of the goodness of God in Christ. We celebrate, we remember, and we do that with hearts filled with gratitude and sincerity, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray also over the ones in this room this morning who do not know Christ. That is not their identity. He is not their God. I pray, God, that today would be the day that you would set them free, that they would no longer be captive no longer captive to their sin, to their guilt, to their shame, but that they would believe this truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God, move and move in power. Spirit, we are yours. In Christ's name, amen.